1: paper since 1971 bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky show as I speak it's Thursday May 27th 1971 that's a joke ladies and gentlemen it is actually 2021 but everybody knows I've been talking about this show forever I've been planning this show forever. I've been thinking about this show forever. And so without further ado, I'm going to bring on the legendary Chicago reporter, reporter. Well, he's not really from the reporter anymore, but I got the reporter on my mind, Mick Dumkey. Mick, are you ready to do this?
0: Let's do it, man. We've been, we've been doing this show offline <laughs> for like years. So now the difference is that Nate is joining us and we're recording it. That's the only difference. So,
1: All right, let me set it up. Mick Dumke, uh is much younger than me. So I was actually alive in the year 1971. I was already a teenager. Uh, and I was an avid listener of AM radio. So I was listening to the music in 1971 in real time. Mick is a pretty extraordinary guy that uh, he is he looked back and listened to music that came before him. And so by the time I met Mick, which was in the O's, uh, he had already assembled in his mind a list of his favorite songs from of all time. And he had come to the conclusion that the greatest year for records was 1971, and folks, I have to tell you, I never thought about it in those terms until I met Mick, and we started talking about it. I go, well, why 1971 as opposed to any other year? And I have since come to the conclusion that I disagree with the premise of this very show. I believe the greatest year for music was 1973, but who cares? Most people agree with Mick, and now that we're in the 50th year anniversary from the 1971, there are all kinds of articles coming out, specials, documentaries about the great year 1971 for music and I'm like you stole this from Mick Dumpkey Mick you should get yourself a good lawyer and sue these little bastards because they stole your idea. That's right. If only we'd done this show like uh, before <laughs> this
0: year then uh, you know our stamp would be all over instead we've just been talking about it although I will say Ben, It's out there because I had somebody tweet at me the other day. Someone else in the Twitter world, whatever, had written something about 1971 and great music in 1971. And someone I don't even know, except through Twitter, like I don't even know this person's real name. All I know is his Twitter handle, tweeted at me Mickey D, 1971. So you're right. There's at least a a small band of uh, like, three or four people who know that I keep talking about 1971 you yeah. know, and have
1: been for a while. Well, one more time, Apple who came out with their little documentary that they're so happy with Mick Dunkey was so far ahead of you. Just saying. All right. So at least give him a credit or a shout out or something. All right. Enough. That's right. Um, so anyway, I got so inspired by 1971. And so this, that I'm going to do a whole series, ladies and gentlemen, this is just the first. I'm going to do 1971 in politics, 1971 in sports, uh, and uh, 1971 in uh, movies already. I got Sergio Mims. He's coming on next week. We're going to do 1971 in uh, movies. Ali Frazier fight one will probably be an entire segment of itself. I've already booked <laughs> boxing guests for that. So I'm really into this, 1971. It's Not even my favorite year, but um, I'm really into it, Mick. So, all right. Yeah. Uh, since it's your idea, Mick, um, we're going to do a ten, a top 10 countdown uh, interspersed. I'm going to read the top three lists that we've gathered from various people uh, in our little universe, uh, including my wife and uh, my bowling uh, captain, the captain of my bowling team, Stacey Davis-Gates has weighed in, uh, Dr. D, Dennis, the producer of uh, the regular Ben Jarofsky Show podcast is weighed in. He already announced his top three on today's live show. So we have a bunch of other people who are weighing in with their uh, top three. Mick and I are going to do top ten records. Uh, so everybody who's listening, get your paper out, get your pencil out, because let's pretend it's 1971, so you don't have a computer to keep track of this. Write these downs, then run, don't walk uh, to your nearest record store and buy the LP. Let's pretend like it really is 1971. If that doesn't work, go to Spotify and check out these uh, great records from 1971. And we'll start with Mick Dumpke and number 10.
0: My 10th favorite from the year. Now, first of all, this is not a qualification. it's an explanation. But these are just my favorite 10 records from the year currently. First of all, it can change because... You get into certain things at different times, so the list is always shifting. But it's also, I'm not playing critic here. These are not what I think are the 10 greatest necessarily, although I think in most cases they are, but these are just my favorite 10, so I just wanted to explain that. That said, uh, my 10th favorite currently from the year 1971 is Pearl by Janis Joplin, which I believe was released um, soon after she died, actually. So it was her, her last album, and by far her greatest album.
1: Now, why do you have this on the list?:
0: I've always loved Janice. I love her uh, way she's sang, the, the passion she's sang with. Um, you know, she's a white woman from Texas. She studied uh, her blues, and on this album, she got into country. I mean, the greatest track. Uh, on the album and the greatest track by Janis Joplin is me and Bobby McGee written by Chris Christofferson. And uh, to me, the album warrants listening to just for that song alone, but there's a ton of other good stuff on there too. It's just a great album. Some of the songs he wrote others others uh, are covers. Um, but it's just, uh, it's just full on Janis, that mix of rock blues, uh, you know, white girl's soul and touches a country. It's a great record.
1: Well, I got to say that Janice Janice Joplin uh, is one of those performers that does not for me, this is me speaking uh, does not stand the test of time. And I, and, and Mick, you and I I may have mentioned this before. There's many groups like this. I uh, really listen to them in the, uh, at the moment. Uh, and then as time goes on, I like them less and less. Now, some of them, I just can't stand the sound. Of, like, I would say, um, <laughs> uh, I always get in trouble for this, but Graham Nash, if I I cannot stand the sound of Graham Nash's voice anymore, I'm not like, just Crosby, Stills, and Nash, forget it. I just can't stand I hear If I hear Ju- sweet Judy Blue Eyes one more time, take that radio. So, but Janice Jackson, uh, Janis Jackson, man, I got Chicago politics in my mind. Uh, Janis Joplin, uh, is in that category, but I'm with you on, uh, Man, me and Bobby McGee, when I hear that song and that opening line, you know, Bobby Flag, the diesel down and the pouring rain, I just like, that's great poetry. It's great.
0: And, and I'll agree with you on one, one extent.
1: I mean, when
0: I was uh, younger and heard less music, I probably liked her and this album even more than I do now. In some ways, it's still on my list because I – Feels a certain loyalty to how much I love Janice when I was like a teenager. Um, and, uh, I can remember like driving around, you know, the town I grew up in with my friend, we're driving down to the beach. We turn on, put on Janice on the tape deck and jam that stuff. Um, but for instance, one of my favorite songs in the album is uh, cry baby her cover. It's great. But then I heard an earlier version of it by this, um, Fairly obscure soul singer named uh, Garnett Mims, and it's better. It's better than Janice's version. It came out several years earlier. So, you know, I acknowledge the fact that Janice uh, studied and in some ways copied from her predecessors like Big Mama Thornton and, uh, and, and other blues singers. But I do think this album shows her really coming into her own, and that's why I still stand by it.
1: All right. I will uh, I'll, I'll allow you that uh, since it's your list. All right. my I got to start my, uh, number, my list with uh, sort of a confession. Uh, some of these uh, selections on my list will uh, make me the subject of much ridicule and mockery uh, from my friends of the really cool and hip persuasion. I have a few of those. I can't help it, Mick. I am who I am. <laughs> uh, and so I want to say that my list differs from Mick, uh, because I have like two lists. Uh, One is the list now, which I will recite, but there's also the real list, which is the one I would have created back in 1971. Again, that age difference, Mick could not have done a list in 1971, because for a good chunk of it, he wasn't even born yet. Uh, And uh, I, on the other hand, was listening, so uh, a moment of uh, confession: I would definitely have had the Carpenters on that list. They had a great album that year, but they're not. They have not stood the test of time much like Janis uh, Joplin. The Carpenters are not at all like Janis Joplin. You can
0: argue that neither has stood the test of time, but to say the Carpenters are much like Janis
1: Joplin. Eh, no, I, I would totally disagree. There are two. There are two songs from the Carpenters album, nineteen seventy-one, that are still. When they come on the radio, I crank it up. Uh, Rady days and Mondays and superstar. uh, I will now restrain myself from singing superstar. Uh, Mick is like, thank God. Uh, By the way, we can't play any bits of it. We had our attorney, Nate, uh, look into this. And he said the cost of (laughs) making drops, Mick, would have been astronomical and would have probably opened us up to lawsuits. Uh, which would have been great for publicity, but probably not good for the reader uh, that sponsors us. All right, number 10, Chicago 3. Yes, Chicago 3. I was a huge fan of Chicago back in the day. (laughs) No one will admit that they they like Chicago. Okay, all right. Uh, But I loved them back in the day, and I still love them. There's three songs on this record, Mick that I love to death. One of them is a song called Low Down. Whenever it comes on the radio, crank it up. Low down. I'm not going to sing it. Uh, and then there's a song that's an instrumental. Uh, Happy Because I'm Going Home. I cannot convey how much I love that song. Millennials go out and check it out. There's a cover version of it by a guy named Charles Erland, which is even better than the Chicago version. In fact, Charles Erland did a cover version of Lowdown, which is even better than uh, Chicago's version. So you're saying, well, Ben, why don't you have Charles Erland on your list as opposed to Chicago? To which I say, that's an excellent question, millennials. Thank you for paying attention. And the answer is, Mick McDumpkey, that those albums by Charles Erland came out in a different year, which just goes to show you how arbitrary this whole thing is. But Charles Erland, like me, okay, this is the only thing Charles Erland and I have in common. He's a great jazz musician, plays the uh, organ. The only thing we have in common is that we were listening to Chicago back in 1971, and we liked it so much, I sang it, uh, and he turned it into uh, some great songs. So Chicago 3, in my opinion, belongs on the list, if only because I wore out the grooves back in 1971. All right, Mick, what's your number nine?
0: Well, again, Ben, it's your list, and I'm not a huge <laughs> Chicago fan, but uh, I, I you know, appreciate that you love what you love and you're still listening to or, or admitting that you uh, turn up Chicago and the Carpenters, everybody. This is the only person I've ever heard who turns <laughs> up the Carpenters. They are the definition of soft rock, and Ben turns that stuff up when he hears it. God bless you. Hold on, hold
1: on. Before we go further, you're telling me on the record with Nate recording this so it could be held against you in a court of law, if it came to that, that you are not a fan of the song Superstar by The Carpenters.
0: Not a huge fan. I don't, I just don't really like The Carpenters' sound. Um, It's just kind of too wispy for me. There's no soul in it when I listen to that music. But I, you know, you're not the only person I know who appreciates their musical talents. I mean, they did have talent. They could sing. They could write songs. I just, I don't really care for them as performance artists. But that's, you know, again, these are not, uh, there's no right or wrong answers here, Ben. You like what you like. So.
1: But, by the way, that's. A, uh, I just have to point out to our listeners, you can't see them, but uh, Dumpkey is wearing his I Love Captain and Tennille t-shirt. Uh, no, just kidding. He's not wearing it. <laughs> just had a do I that to not, Nick.
0: I, 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 I don't think I own it, but I did at one point in time own a Captain and Tennille album. I'm not sure if they made more than one album, but it was the one that had love will keep us together on it. And, um, I wisely purged that from my collection during a move, uh, many years ago. So anyway, Cannot stand so I that song.
1: Cannot, Cannot stand that song. All right. What's your number nine, Mick? Number nine
0: is one that is probably less familiar to um, a lot of your listeners, but uh, people who are really uh, record collectors or or music heads might recognize it. It's an album called Like a Ship Without a Sail by Pastor T.L. Barrett and the Youth for Christ Choir. Um, This was a, uh, as it sounds like, a local minister and a local uh, choral group in Chicago who cut an album. This album in 1971 it is just incredible it's a it's a gospel record but it's just this album the way it was recorded is just infused with um soul on a little bit of funk and it's an amazing headphones album i believe it's been sampled repeatedly by um different hip-hop artists uh but i would encourage anyone if you're looking for something new to go check this out um Uh, We're probably not supposed to actually recommend Spotify anymore, Ben, because they don't pay their artists squat, Uh, but you can find this uh, music out there. And if you like it, I would encourage you to actually purchase a copy and uh, pay the surviving artists or the record company that has uh, reissued this record to make sure that it's not lost to history. Like A Ship Without a Sail by Pastor T.L. Barrett and the Youth for Christ Choir.
1: All right. By the way, I should point out, I have my Spotify rule. I don't know if I ever shared this with you, Mick, before. This is the Ben Jarofsky Spotify rule. I completely agree agree with you wholeheartedly that they rip off their artists. And part of the reason uh, why that Nate and I decided that to uh, drop the songs is because that's kind of ripping off the artists too, if you will. And uh, so everybody's got to make a living. Uh, some make more of a living than others. but uh, So Spotify does rip off its artists. Uh, so my rule is if the artist has passed on, I'm free to listen to them on Spotify. Uh, and for me, Mick, uh, you just point out that you, you've picked up this record or you've discovered this record like within the last six months or so. About the only good thing I could say about the pandemic is that it forced me to sit at home and listen to music. Uh, And I really uh, discovered a whole bunch of music that I had never even listened to, Uh, mostly jazz from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. Uh, And almost every artist has passed on, so I don't feel guilty about it. And I kept these people, uh, by the way, jazz artists, I kept them out of my list because I just thought, you know... I wouldn't be really truthful to where I was in 1971. I wasn't listening to, who am I kidding? Who am I, David Remnick or something, making stuff up as I go along about myself? So no, I uh, I hear you, Mick. It's, it's really good that you continually expand your horizons, listen to new stuff, and maybe a year from now, your list will be completely different. All right, my number nine. Would have probably been a lot closer to number one uh, back in uh, 1971. May have been number t- my second favorite album in 1971. And that would be Imagine by John Lennon. I'm a huge Beatle fan, uh, Mick, or Romana. When she comes on the show, we talk about this. Romana's a big Beatle fan as well. Uh, Romana Hussein, a regular on The Ben Drowsky Show, and Mick Dumpke's wife. Uh, and um, my favorite Beatle by far is John Lennon. And Imagine, uh, I just love that song, Imagine... Uh, the Utopian song. Make it got got banned by some uh, radio stations in 2001 after 9/11 because what we were so uh, war hungry after 9/11. They couldn't listen to a song that articulated the need for peace and understanding. Uh, so uh, that uh, every time I get choked, I'm getting choked up just thinking about John Lennon, and I still can't believe someone killed John Lennon. Uh, there's another person we'll talk about who was killed, shot, gunned down. That's on our both of our lists. And I just, uh, every now and then, Mick, I was just going through my course of my day. I'll think about John Lennon, how funny he was, how dark he was, how sharp and bitter he was, but also how like naively uh, idealistic he was. And that's all embedded in uh, Imagine. And it also has a song, Jealous Guy, which... I would argue Donnie Hathaway's version is the better version of Jealous Guy. Um, I could argue that. We could do a whole show on that, which is the better version of Jealous <laughs> Guy. But imagine, I uh, love you, John Lennon. A little shout-out to John Lennon. That's my number nine album. You have any thoughts on Imagine Nick?
0: I like that album. I uh, also love the Beatles um, as a group and their solo work. Uh, it's funny. I actually, the last couple of years, have been listening to a lot of like a lot of solo Beatles, more than the Beatles albums as a group. Um, and, um, I do like imagine it's not my favorite Lennon album. And, uh, I have to admit that John is not my favorite, um, Beatle performer. I, uh, I'm in the camp end that thinks that, uh, Paul has gotten a bad rap through the years and (laughs) uh, in part because in part because he lasted and kept making albums and, um, but I, you know, it's been fun to see Paul have kind of a critical comeback over, uh, in recent times. It's been a real reevaluation of Paul's work. So my favorite, it's not in my top 10, but I sent you actually a, a full to- top 25 list because I went kind of crazy with this. And, uh, you probably noticed in my, um, second 15, as it were, um, uh, Paul and Linda McCartney's Ram, uh, was on my list. I love that album. And, um, I know that uh, uh, Lennon Imagine is usually rated higher than Ram, and I'm pretty sure you hold that same assessment, Ben, but I, I stand by Ram. And I also stand by, to the, your point about the arbitrary cutoff uh, of just making this calendar year, 1971. In November 1970, perhaps the the greatest Beatles solo album of them all was released, All Things Must Pass, by George Harrison was released uh just a couple months before 1971. So, a little shout out to George for that one.
1: Yeah, a little shout out to George. By the way, before uh, I give, uh, we move on to number eight. I just want to read Dennis's. Uh, Dennis is, of course, the producer of uh, The Ben Jarofsky Show uh, Tuesday through Friday. Uh, he has Black Sabbath on this list. Uh, I don't even know what the name of the album is. That's so I don't know anything about Black Sabbath, folks. I'm just gonna be honest with you. It's, I,
0: it's Master of Reality, Ben. That was in my top twenty-five too. So uh, yeah, yeah. You and Dennis, you, think alike. you're not a big hard rock fan, but I'm. Uh, I guess I'm with Dennis on that
1: one. Yeah, no, I'm not a big hard. You could take big out of that sentence. I'm not a hard rock fan at all. But. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but he loves it. And then he was the one who pointed out to me, that's the one with the Ozzy Osbourne. And I go, oh yeah, it's Sharon Osbourne's husband. Uh, and then he, uh, <laughs> and there, come on. There were a lot of them
0: with Ozzy Osbourne. Okay. He was their lead singer for, uh, their, all their, their gold. I wouldn't call them golden years. Cause we're talking about black Sabbath. But yeah. They're, they're, they're,
1: there's no gold anywhere near that group, except for in their bank accounts. Uh, all right, and then uh, he has Maggot Brain. I gave him a lot of credit, a shout-out, of love to Dennis for knowing who the Funkadelics are. Uh, and then I did. he said Thin Lizzy's debut album, which I was vaguely aware that Thin Lizzy existed as a group, uh, but I always forget which... I always get them mixed up with about a, a thousand other bands, so uh, that's his list. Are you a, fan, a Thin Lizzy fan, Mick?
0: Not really. I mean, I know some of
1: their stuff from... Um classic rock
0: radio boys are back in town I think is their biggest single um but yeah they're kind of like I think of them as kind of you know uh trashy classic rock like trashy in a good way it's like you know your your early 70s rock and roll you know Uh, lots of guitar and melody turn that stuff up you know
1: I I like uh, that song that's that they're hanging out at Dino's that's the one boys they're hanging out at Dino's all right, now, before we uh, move on to, uh, uh, let's see, number eight, we're going to ask uh, Nate. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, Nate does our uh, weekend shows on the Bender. Yeah, we have, we're so big, we have two producers. Uh, and Nate's also a disc jockey. Anybody out there looking for a good disc jockey? Nate's, Nate's your guy. Give him a call. He knows what he's doing. He knows music from all generations, all genres, and he's a jazz musician. So we could play the piano if, at your wedding if you want. All right, Nate. What are your top three? Um, so I have to shout out—I have to shout out my dad
0: on uh, introducing me that, to these. Um, but Bill Withers, just as I am. Um, number two will have to be "Gets
1: Next to" You, Al Green, and then um, "Roots" by Curtis Mayfield. All right. Well, this uh, his dad, who I know from way back when uh, in Little League baseball. Uh, We were coaches. Uh, Believe it or not, Mick, I knew Nate when he was like eight playing Little League baseball. Can you believe that? He's a good third baseman, by the way.
0: You know what, Ben? Uh, You've been around a while. You were (laughs) a teenager listening to the Carpenters in 1971. So, yes, I do believe that you've known Nate since he was eight years old. Uh,
1: I know. The guy was good. He could really go go to his left uh, uh, very well, as I recall. Uh, politically and uh, on the baseball diamond, uh, I share a couple of those records, but I don't want to give too much away uh, with Nate. So uh, shout out to Nate's dad. Man taught kids something beyond uh, playing third base. All right, Mick, what's your number? Eight, what's your number eight? Uh, yeah, quickly. I also um,
0: really like Nate's uh, top three as well, and and two of the three are on my extended list. Uh, one of them I'll talk about it again in a minute, and the only one that's not on my list is the Al Green album. Um, you know, I just like some of the Al Green albums that came out in successive years a little bit more, but that's not taken away from that one. So great with you, Nate. Good good call, man. Uh, my number eight is, uh, Electric Warrior by T-Rex, um, the so-called, uh, glam era in British rock and roll, um, where, uh, groups like T-Rex, um, Mark Bolan were taking the sounds of the Stones and a little bit of uh, Bowie's glam and just doing this uh, great poppy trashy guitar rock and roll. It's just amazing stuff. Um and people who aren't fans you've certainly heard uh uh Bang a Gong Get It On. Um if not by the the T-Rex original then if you're my era you've heard the Power Station covering the offshoot of Duran Duran, the Power Station covered um bang gone get it on in the 80s so um but the t-rex album is
1: just a classic you? well you know we're not going to agree on everything uh t-rex was one of those group- this is just me talking okay See, t-rex was one of those groups in 1971 that i would there were two stations in chicago i'll give you guys a little school two uh a.m uh pop rock stations in Chicago and one AM soul station in Chicago. So, uh, WVON, WLS, WCFL. So I would like switch from one to the other. If I didn't like the song never was a T-Rex fan, but I, I could, I know that song bang a gun, get on or something like G G G -G," Yeah. Uh, so so make, I gotta tell you, it wasn't anywhere close to making my top whatever. Uh, but, uh, mine is, has already been mentioned. Number eight, Bill Withers, just as I am. Uh, I cannot convey how much I love Bill Withers. Uh, there was a special, a documentary is not a special about Bill Withers. I urge everybody to check it out. It's really good. Uh, he just tells the story of his life. Very interesting guy, Mick. Uh, he stopped recording. He says, ah, to hell with it. The guy had a a string of hits in the seventies. He was making a ton of money and he just basically walked away and, um, you know, he he became quite proficient in investing in real estate, apparently. And he also overcame a stuttering habit. Uh, I, I just view Bill Withers as like a, almost a spiritually great guy. I'm obsessed with him. And Just As I Am uh, was his album that came out and it had a song called Ain't No Sunshine. And I had never heard little little Benny Jorofsky would be like, I the doing that refrain, uh Nate probably knows it because he probably breaks it out where it goes. I know, I know, I know, I know, and he just goes on and on and on. So when they played at the bowling alley on Monday night, Mick, I'm like, I know. I know.
0: <laughs> oh, it's amazing! It's yeah. it's just classic. That that album is uh is great, start to finish. Too Grandma's hands is yeah. uh, uh I think the opener on the album, right? And which is just you know. Obviously, great meditation on his grandmother. You're right. Bill Withers, fascinating guy who came to the music industry kind of late, like, um, you know, Mm -hmm. late 20s, or even early 30s. He'd been in the military. He'd worked a bunch of other kind of jobs. And you're right, got fed up with the music business and just walked away from it and, uh, you know, kind of spent time with his family and apparently, like you said, um, was successful in other endeavors. But I have not heard a bad Bill Withers
1: record. No, Bill Withers is the man. By the way, on his first album, I did not know this. Uh, I've already ripped uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I cannot stand the sound of that group anymore. Uh, But I did not know this, Mick. I would throw it out to you as a trivia question, except that would be unfair. Uh, Stephen Stills plays guitar on that opening uh, and the Bill Withers album, Just As I Am. And uh, somehow or other, they hooked up. So, you know was not all. Well, he bad could play
0: guitar, so they're good. Yeah. Good yeah.
1: Call. Uh but uh anyway, that Bill Withers just as I am. His next album uh, still Bill was from 72. which is my favorite Bill Withers album, but unfortunately we got this dividing line 71 72. Uh all right, Mick, what's your number 7?
0: Number 7 is there's a riot going on by Sly and the Family Stone. Uh one of my all-time favorite groups. Um regardless of genre, year, era anything and um you know a lot of people think there's a riot going on is their classic it's uh listen to it again um in preparation for this show and just because i love fly and listen to this record and you know it is such a uh dark murky album Uh, reportedly he was in a drug haze when he made this record and he didn't have that much participation from other members of the band like he pretty much recorded and dubbed and overdubbed the whole thing himself. Um, family affair was the big single off it, but the rest of the record doesn't sound much like that at all. It's just like layers of rhythm and, um, kind of, there's an ache to the whole thing, you know, a quiet anger, a, a, a slow boiling anger and an ache to the whole thing, but it is a masterpiece of sound. Um, maybe not my favorite Sly album. I, I think I probably like stand a little bit more, which of course has a bunch of their big hits, including, uh, um, can I think of what is the biggest, why can I think of the biggest uh, Sly song ever? Um, uh, Different strokes, uh, everyday people, everyday yeah. people. Yeah. And stand, but, but this album is great. So there's a riot going on by Sly, which is by the way, an answer to a question from one of the other albums we're going to talk about later. So,
1: Oh, okay. Uh, a lot of people I know uh, love this album and 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 put this album on their list. I'm a huge Sly fan. I'm glad you put it on your list just to give the shout out to Sly Family, uh, Sly Stone, Sly and the Family Stone. And I urge everybody: there's a great documentary about Sly. Uh, this is like searching for Sly. This filmmaker goes out to try to meet Sly, uh, and it if Mick, if you haven't seen it, I urge you to run out and see. You really, it just it gets at the sort of like the essence of the mystique of. Uh, of Sly and how talented he was, and how self destructive he was, and how he just he'd like, uh, he brought together so many different types of people, like hippies from the 60s, white people from the 60s, black people from the 60s. Uh, so he was truly a great guy. Uh, it's not on my list, uh, but it has a song, one of my favorites. Isn't this the album with Family Affair? Just a family affair. Do I have that right, or do I have the wrong song? May it may, may not even be on that album? I should have no, no, looked that. Up. I said,
0: yeah. It's a family affair. That was the big single on the album. Okay, yeah.
1: god. I love that song. And I you know what? Family affair is one of those songs where I've heard it a million times but I have no idea what the lyrics are except for family. It's a family and then he's like one child born to be. and I'm like I have no idea what's next. I know the one child and I don't know what comes next. Um, I'm I'm kind of like just singing along, you know, making up the words yeah,
0: it's got a great groove. You don't need to listen to the lyrics. But if you do, it's about, uh, I think, these two siblings who end up going in different directions, and there's even one about, I think, a um, you know, a marital conflict. I mean, you know, and the whole thing is just kind of comes full circle about like, you know, it's basically it's not easy being part of a family, but it's important to work this stuff out, you know, too. so but it's just a great single, great song.
1: Uh, All right, so my number seven uh, is uh, from a group uh, that I love. It's an oldies group, and, well, 1971. But whenever they come on, goes that volume. And that would be the Stylistics is the name of the album, Uh, the name of the group is the Stylistics. They have a song called Bet You By Golly Wow. All you millennials out there, run, don't walk. Okay? It is one of the greatest songs ever. and Furthermore, I might add, it's got two like no, three incredible covers, including Prince, uh, a cover by Prince, which is you could argue is better than the stylistic version. In fact, Troy Laravier on this show made that argument. Uh, I took the opposite point of view, Mick, just because it felt like the thing to do at the time. But uh and and then um, Grant uh Grant Green, who's a great guitarist, I urge everyone, this is jazz. He, his version of bet you by golly Wow" is so freaking good, but it was the stylistics who did it first. And it's got people make the world go Round," which is from a movie called Crooklyn, which may be the greatest movies ever about the seventies. So I just love the stylistics Mick. And I got to admit when I'm doing the dishes, I put on the stylistics a lot. Uh, what's your thoughts on the stylistics? Yeah, I don't,
0: I can't argue with that choice. It's a fine choice. Um, the stylistics first album kind of set the template for philly soul in the 70s you know you had uh uh, the, uh excuse me the dramatics you had um harold melvin and the blue notes um why can't i think of the other band uh just a wave of great artists coming out of uh out of philly and the stylistics record was uh kind of the first one to put you know set this sort of template for the falsetto vocals and the sweet, you know, soulful melodies and the, um, you know, harmonic singing and everything. So uh, great choice, man. I'm, I'm right with you.
1: Yeah. I love the stylistics very much. In fact, this just got me fired up. I think you may be thinking of the OJs. Uh, the other great OJs that came out of, yeah. Uh, out of Philly. Uh, all right. I want to, um, give a, a list that uh, Stacey Davis Gates was so kind to share with us. Um, now, she's uh, of the younger generation. She's even younger than Mick, uh, if such a thing is possible. And uh, But her, uh, her parents taught her well. And um, so her uh, top three are, uh, in no particular order, she just sent them to me. What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. We're going to be talking a lot about that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Aretha Live at the Fillmore. We're going to be talking a lot about that one. Uh, and uh, the Isley Brothers, giving it back. A couple people uh, recommended that one. Uh, that's the one, the Isley Brothers albums, I do a lot of covers, including uh, a version of Lay, Lady, Lay, which in my humble opinion is better than Bob Dylan's. Yes, Bob Dylan fans, I said it. Uh, and uh, so that is Stacey Davis-Gates. That's her three. Mick, your thoughts on any of those albums?
0: Like them all. I love them all. Um, and I agree uh, that Isley's cover to say it's a covers album doesn't really do it justice because they, the Isley's in classic fashion, pretty much reinvent all that song, all those uh, songs that they do. Um, they also have a great cover on that album of love the one you're with by Stephen Stills. You were (laughs) uh, saying Graham Nash, you can't stand. And I guess CSN by extension, but, um, you know, Steven Still is also a great songwriter, as proven by the Isley Brothers version on that record. So,
1: Mick, I'll yeah. go one step further. They do like this extended version on that album of the song Ohio, which is written by Graham yeah. Nash. Yeah. And it's like an ex- a, I think it's like seven minutes. Don't quote me, ladies and gentlemen. It's long. And uh, so, yeah, it's you know, it's, it's, it's haunting. It's haunting. Yeah. It's
0: like, um, so, yeah, they, they, put their stamp on all those songs. It's really a fine album. So, yeah. It's but a lot this, of fun uh, and I've
1: listened to it a lot. Brought that up while doing the dishes. Oh uh, yeah, actually two people that I asked brought that up. It's on two people's lists. Uh it's uh, it's not just Stacy another mother, the captain of my bowling team and he'll be uh we're going to his list uh real soon. All right, make number 6.
0: Number 6 is uh One of the albums, on Nate's top three, uh, Roots by Curtis Mayfield. Absolutely love Curtis. Um, I like pretty much all of his records, but this is my favorite. And I know a lot of people will say Superfly or his debut album, Curtis, both of which are classics as well. But I love Roots. Um, I don't know that it had a big single on it, but to me it's um, pretty much the height of like, Curtis's psychedelic soul era. So there's sort of what you would think of as kind of traditional R&B stuff on there. But some of the production that um, he did on this record, it's just like a whole another layer. It takes you to another place. My favorite song on the album is this uh, track called Underground, where it feels like he's taking you to the underground. It's just it's just brilliant. And, you know, the thing about Curtis is he did it all right. I mean, he's like a master guitarist. The style of guitar that he played with like a little bit of almost Spanish inflection in his guitar playing it was very influential. Um, of course, he was a great singer. Um, he had his own record label. This came out on Curtom Records and he produced it. So he created like a soundscape in addition to all of the, the songs that he wrote. So, um, Nate, I'm glad you brought it up because that is one of my all time favorites.
1: Yeah, I got to give Nate a lot of credit for even knowing the damn album. But uh, I'm a huge Curtis Mayfield fan, uh, as you are, Mick. The guy's a genius. He's from Chicago. Uh, he's from Cabrini Green. Uh, he, I don't know. I don't believe the city of Chicago has honored him at all, except for maybe with one of those honorary street signs somewhere. Uh, I don't even know if they've done that. So shame on Chicago for not honoring the great Curtis Mayfield more. Uh, and uh, this is not one of my favorite Curtis Mayfield's albums and that says more about me than the album because uh I'm more into the melodies and melodic stuff and and you're right Mick this is psychedelic and it goes places that little well how 14 year old Benny Girasky was just not ready to go back in 1971 um <laughs> but, uh, come on Chicago let's I think Mick Dumpke... he's He's more of the uh, straight-up investigative journalist. Doesn't put his opinions in his pieces. But I think Mick will agree with me that Chicago has got to do a better job of honoring Curtis Mayfield than it's done. Isn't that right, Mick?
0: They should do something. Yeah, I mean a better (laughs) job. Anything would be better than what's going on now. I agree. He's one of the giant. His rock and roll. Remember, rock and roll Hall of Fame is a giant of uh, of pop music, and um, I agree. Do Chicago is so
1: freaking clueless. Uh, th- this is not, I mean, I'm going to refrain here because Mick knows where we're, I'm just going to, like we're all set to rip Chicago, the city, not the band. And uh, they're just so clueless about everything in the city of Chicago. And they destroy their legacy. They destroy their neighborhoods. They kick people out of the city, you know, always trying to quote unquote, beautify the city. Don't appreciate what's in the city. Sorry, Mick. I didn't mean to go on that tangent. Uh, number six, Al Green next to you. And, um, man, this is not the greatest Al Green album, but, uh, it's got one of my favorite songs of all time, which is, uh, next to you. And that people may know that as a temptation song. Uh, but Al Green does, I don't know. Is it the cover? I guess the temptations did it first, Mick. right? Yeah, that's about right. I think they had the number one hit with it in the sixties. The way Al Green does it is so good. I listened to this song, Mick. Mm conservative ah, once a week and the guitar solo in that song is so good. Uh, I sing it. I'm going to refrain from singing it right now. I just urge everybody uh, to uh, check out if you haven't already uh, next to you by uh, Al Green. And um, I just also want to say, Oh, tired of being alone is on that album, which was a huge hit. Everybody knows that song. The guitarist for Al Green was a guy named teeny Hodges uh, and a small world. I never met teeny Hodges. I didn't know teeny Hodges but his one, I think his second wife, uh, Marsh is a friend of mine. So how about that, Mick? Uh, I found that out. Uh, couldn't believe it when I discovered, you know, TD Hodges. I, I was married to him. Oh, okay. Trump my eyes. And so, uh, and he plays a hell of a guitar solo, uh, in next to your thoughts on Al green, Mick.
0: Oh, I love Al green. Like I was saying, when Nate was, uh, unveiled his list, um, uh, I guess I just didn't I didn't think about this album being in my top because um my favorite Al Green albums came in the succeeding years but I can't argue with uh putting the Reverend Al Green on the list.
1: Yeah. The Reverend Al Green. This is before he was the Reverend Al Green so uh but he does a couple religious there's a couple of religious songs on this uh album. All right, Mick, uh number 5.
0: Number 5, I think uh Dennis Dr. D mentioned this but Maggot Brain by Funkadelic. Um I love pretty much all the P-Funk stuff that George Clinton and Bernie Worrell and crew did. Um, in this case, uh, Maggot Brain opens with a 10-minute song, most of it an extended guitar solo by the great Eddie Hazel. So if uh, you know the classic rock heads out there think that amazing psychedelic guitar playing started and ended with Jimi Hendrix, whom I know both you and I love and, but if you think that it started and ended there, you are wrong. Uh, you got to check out Eddie Hazel solo to start uh, maggot brain. The rest of your album is brilliant as well. And for that matter, uh, you got to listen to, uh, Ernie Isley, right. Play, uh, the guitar. Um, he's, I mean, Hendrix literally came out of the Isley brothers, um, started his career as a, a member, you know, backing member of the Isley brothers. And, uh, they carried on that tradition into the 70s as well. So, But Maggot Brain by Funkadelic, one of the, the greatest ever.
1: Yeah, i uh, big fan of George Clinton. Uh, one of the greatest concerts I ever saw. I talk about it all the time. It was a couple years ago, the Old People's Concert uh, that they do at Taste of Chicago where they bring on some old band uh, that the geezers like me would like. Uh, <laughs> I saw the Isley Brothers there. That's how I saw Ernie Isley, man. Great guitar solo. Still got it. Still got uh, it.
0: I, I yeah. mean, and he was, he was tearing it up at that show. I agree. Yeah. were you were at that show. I went to that show as well. I did not. I sat on the lawn with the regular people, Ben. I know you <laughs> paid top dollar to get close to stage, but yeah.
1: Well, I paid top dollar to get close to stage and I'm happy I did. I, uh, and I paid top dollar to get close to stage at uh, the George Clinton concert, which was absolutely sensational. Uh, he was just sort of wandering around the stage, Mick, in a haze, a fog. He was wearing this uh, full-length robe that <laughs> looked like it was like a cloth sack or something. And I'm like, George Clinton, you are out of your mind. Uh, and uh, uh, But what a great it totally concert it was.
0: Especially in these years, totally nuts. When I saw him um, play a show, uh, you know, it's sort of like, George would basically walk back and forth on stage, waving his hands like he was conducting and occasionally grab the microphone and, you know, kind of join in a lyric or two. But that was he was pretty much like the director of bands and (laughs) wasn't doing a whole lot else. But man, what a show, even in the latter years where, you know, obviously the original musicians that made up Parliament and Funkadelic, uh, those bands they're not touring with him anymore, but he always has surrounded himself with crack people. So it's just an amazing show. Anytime you get to see.
1: Yeah. He's got all these young musicians. Yeah. It's always something for like an old timer, like me, when I see young people playing old, like old people's music. Oh yeah. It somehow sounds better. You know what I mean? Like a 28 year old or a 25 year old playing a, a P funk song. It's like, Oh, it's even better than it was in the original version. Cause the young guy, uh, is giving me approval. Thank you, young people. I live for your approval. Uh, all right, my number five uh, is an album that I must confess I did not love or even know that much of in 1971 in real time, but over the years, I've come to love it. I listen to it at least once a week. Uh, again, when I'm doing dishes or just sitting around the uh, uh, kitchen talking to my wife while she's cooking. Uh, and This is Gil Scott Heron's Pieces of a Man. I urge everybody. Uh, if you haven't heard it, check it out. There's so many great songs in this album. He was a genius, uh, Gil Scott-Heron. The one you probably all know is "The Revolution Will Not Be Televised." I'm sure everybody has heard that at one version or another. Uh, but there's just so many great, like, like different styles on that album. Uh, some of it, some of it is uh, really out there, almost like chanting songs with heavy musical that piano banging in the background and others just like poppy type songs, uh, all great lyrics make going to make you want to listen uh, to what he's saying. The guy was, I think, brilliant lyricist, uh, and, uh, his ba- backup band included Bernard Purdy, uh, one of the great drummers of all time was playing drums. And of course his longtime uh, p- piano player, uh, Brian Jackson, uh, who probably wrote the, um, the music to all these songs. So I just can't, uh, Mick, it's hard to explain why, how much I love this song, but there, there's, just some, there's just some honesty to Gil Scott Heron. He was like putting it out there on all of his songs. And, of course, he, he essentially killed himself through drugs. Never really kicked the habit of heroin, et cetera, and so forth. And so he was very vulnerable. He exposed him, uh, his inner feelings a lot. He was unafraid to do that. Got a lot of love and respect for Gil Scott Heron. And, and Pieces of a Man, I think, is his finest album. Your thoughts, Mick?
0: Yeah, it's a great record. Um, I like Gil Scott Heron too. I don't probably know this album as well as you do, um, but uh, I've always liked Gil Scott Heron. He had, um, and it's just you know he's sort of a force with the way he delivers it. What I was going to say is that he it's almost like an early rap album, you know, because a lot of it is is like spoken word um, with this kind of driving jazzy funky uh, backing music and um there are moments where he sings but a lot of it is you know him kind of just delivering the message and uh it's really great stuff very influential
1: yeah and um there is a mix right it's got uh some of the songs really don't have a melody but there's a lot of melodic songs on as well so it's a great mix i'm just going to weigh in with uh cap my uh Uh, the captain of my bowling team and truly one of the most knowledgeable men I know when it comes to to jazz in particular. Uh, He's always sending me uh, great uh, recommendations. His top three, Mick, are the Isley Brothers, uh, Giving It Back, BB King at the Cook County Jail, and we'll be talking about this one in a little while. Aretha Franklin, live at the Fillmore West. Those are three great albums, Mick.
0: They are three great albums, and uh, i will won't comment, we already talked about couple of them and i know you're going to talk about aretha coming up but i'll just mention the bb king record which i also listened to before this show and just i love that album um it's totally worth checking out hopefully everybody out here loves bb king as it is and he does a searing set of some of his best numbers including the thrill is gone but it's really worth listening to to uh hear like the opening introductions because it was recorded live at the jail and so you hear uh, the audience is, of course, people who are locked up at the time. And like they, they introduce the warden of the jail, and they introduce the sheriff or give a shout-out to the sheriff for allowing the concert to ha- happen. And You hear all the people in the audience, boo Then, <laughs> of course, they get excited when the music kicks in. But It's just like, it's a great album for the music, and then I also enjoy kind of the political backdrop um, as well. So good, good choice.
1: All right, here we go. Let's see if Mick Dumpke can pull this off. For 10 trivia points, who was the warden of that jail? Back then, when that album was I I made.
0: don't I won't remember. I don't I don't remember. Yeah, it was the sheriff at the time, I believe, right? Or did they have a separate warden back
1: then? They had a separate warden.
0: Yeah, you're right cuz I just said that cuz they they did the separate introductions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all
1: right, warden. for 10 tri- uh Nate, uh who was the warden of the jail back in 19?
0: <laughs> Nate's like,
1: "Man." <laughs> Winston Moore, ladies and gentlemen, Winston, Winston Moore, Winston yeah, Moore right. who was later a CHA board appointee, uh and uh, was also little known fact, the stuff I know. I can't believe I know stuff like this, make it's a cry for help. He was the uncle he of Tiger Woods. Yes. People don't know that. Um, no kidding. <laughs> Yeah. Really weird stuff. I know. Uh, all right. Where are we? We're at, uh, we're at number, uh, number four, Mick, what's your number four?
0: My number four is, uh, let me just reconsult my list to make sure I'm not getting off course. Uh, journey in Satchitananda by Alice Coltrane. So you said you, uh, excluded jazz from yours. Um, I had a couple jazz in my extended list, this one. And then in my second 10, I have a uh, tribute to Jack Johnson by Miles Davis, which is just an incredible funk rock jazz record. But Alice Coltrane is on another plane. Um, it's probably my favorite jazz album of all time. And, uh, Alice of course was by this point in time, the widow of John Coltrane and, uh, this album she plays harp and piano and is backed by pharaoh sanders on saxophone as well as some uh indian musicians so it's a it's kind of a mix of um jazz uh there's a soulful blues influence of course and then classical indian music so you you hear the tambura, which is uh an instrument that makes the kind of drone-like sound that you would associate with Let's say if you've people have heard uh, Ravi Shankar or um, you know somebody making like sitar-driven uh, sounds. So it's just a very spiritual album. I listen to this a lot when I'm kind of chilling out, or um, sometimes I like to put on my headphones and kind of fall asleep listening to this because you just you kind of float off into
1: the ether. It's just an absolutely beautiful record. So uh, my number four is uh, one Mick that I think is on your extended list. Aretha Franklin live at the Fillmore West. This got me through uh, the pandemic. It's funny. Stacey Davis Gates as well said the same thing. It's a live album. It's uh, she's backed by a sensational band, uh, and um, again Bernard uh, Purdy is uh, playing the drums and Billy Preston's on organ. Make there just just not a bad song on this. Well, maybe her rendition of Eleanor Rigby I could live without. Uh, but she's a, this is another thing. Like she does cover versions. So she does love the one you're with. It's like so much better than the real version, the original versions. Uh, It's like there's a song by bread, which is a group that's even more uh, white bread than the Carpenters. If such a thing is possible. So I don't even like bread make, let's just get that one out there. I never bread was a little too boring. Even for me uh, back in the uh, late (laughs) sixties, early seventies it's called make it with you. When Aretha Franklin does make it with you, it's, jamming awesome song so uh you know feeling a little down the pandemic's been getting to me and i got a a kitchen that's filled with dirty dishes i put this album on mick and it just uh gets me through so great i love it aretha franklin i always uh i miss aretha so much she's definitely one of my three favorite performers of all time so anyway live at the Fillmore west yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, sorry to interrupt. But yeah, she's. I, I had to jump in because she's one of my favorites of all time, too. Um, I really like this album. It's not my favorite, even my favorite live album by Aretha. The only critique I would have of it is that um, I wanted to hear more of Aretha's songs on this record. Um, by this point in time, she'd made a series of just classic albums, um, including songs that she had written, that her sister had written. Uh, covers that she had made into her own and as you point out even the ones she covers by like bread on this record she does remake but um i just the song selection isn't my favorite on the album even though it's still it's still classic aretha and for those who are fans and want to explore the canon uh just a few months later she released what many including myself think is another one of her high points which was uh live album, Amazing Grace, which she recorded at a church in Los Angeles. It's a gospel record and, um, just a, a, a classic. So, uh, those who get hooked on Ben's recommendation of live at Fillmore West, you should move on to Amazing Grace, which came out in early 1972.
1: Yeah. And by the way, uh, there's a documentary about Amazing Grace. Mick, I don't know if you saw that documentary. It's, it's, it's a, a film of uh, her the performance in the church uh and at some point in the middle of the concert who do, who do you see in the background uh in the at the back of the church uh, it's and it's a sparsely attended It kind of blows my mind make 1972 aretha franklin was a huge superstar and uh best-selling i think eight best-selling number one songs in a row or something like that so she's doing this concert and there's hardly anyone in this church and they're filming it they're turning it into a documentary anyway out of nowhere the uh sh- who shows up who walks into this church but Mick Jagger and Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones who were <laughs> happen to be in um LA that's where this con- this church was in that's where this uh, concert was sold. they happen to be uh, recording an album and they're they're oh wait wait there's Mick Jagger So anyway, uh, I'm with you. Uh, We're not alone in uh, loving uh, everything. All right, Mick, uh, we're moving on to number three.
0: Well, that was a great transition because my number three is uh, Mick Jagger and Charlie Watts and Keith Richards and the rest of the Stones. uh, Sticky Fingers. Um, One of my all time, all these albums we're talking about, it's redundant to keep saying they're among my all time favorites, not just 71, but sticky fingers. The stones have always been one of my favorite rock bands and sticky fingers is, uh, if not their very best, it's way up there. Uh, again, listen to this band the other day I, you and I were texting back and forth. I put it on the <laughs> turntable. And even though I've listened to this album so many times, it just still sounded so fresh and so good. And it's that mix of, uh, the blues, you know, sl- the the Stones uh sleazy rock and roll, their their take on the blues, and then they um had quite a few country sounds on this album too. Uh, Wild Horses being the you know prime example of that. So it's just start to finish. It's uh it's an incredible album. Not a not a weak moment on it.
1: Yeah, Dead Flowers. That's a real country song uh and yeah it was would have definitely been on my list back in 1971 but i believe i think i told you this mick i just heard it so many times that i can't hear it again uh but that says nothing about what a great rock and roll album is
0: Man, just... you gotta listen to it again you'll love it i know you you will love it all <laughs> over again all right because it's uh, incredible i mean it's like you know Is the haunting stuff, Sister Morphine? They're just singing about addiction. There's uh, (laughs) Brown Sugar, you know, one of the greatest guitar riffs in rock and roll. I mean, come on, Ben, come back. You gotta gotta (laughs) put it on. Put it on.
1: Uh, Okay, I I do know it by heart. Uh, Trust me when I tell you, I listen to that album over and over and over uh number three uh on my list is another album i've listened to over and over again i listened to it in real time it would have been there on my list in 1971. it's still my uh list now uh and i do listen to this still listen to this album uh and it's by i don't think most people would say it's this band's best album by by far but i sure enjoy it santana three by santana obviously uh and the the big hit was no one to depend on uh but Mick, I know the album by heart. I know every guitar solo by heart. I know the drum solos by heart. If you watch me while this album's on, I'll switch from bass to to lead to drum. Then I'll tell the congas all of a sudden, you know. Um, What can I say about Carlos Santana? uh, It's uh, my wife and I. That's the one thing, like, we had in common from the get-go in terms of music. We both love Santana. We've seen him a lot in concert. The great uh, Carlos Santana, Carlos Santana 3. I Mick, mean, I don't know if you know this album, uh, but uh, it's like I said, it's not one of his more popular one. Abraxas, which came out right before it, uh, was uh, probably his best known. And I had a job packing ice cream at Peacock's Ice Cream Factory, and I got a paycheck. I went out and bought Santana 3. I think it's one of the first uh, albums I ever purchased with my own money so much. I love this album. So Santana 3. I love that you're standing by
0: Santana. And, um, I, uh, I, you know, I like Santana. I've, I've never been a huge Santana fan. I'm not going to lie to you. I think I have, I think, but I'm actually not sure, um, that I have Santana three cause I've got several of their records. And I, when I'm in the mood, and I put it on every time. I'm like, why don't I listen to Santana more? So I totally get what you're saying. One little piece of trivia about Santana three. I believe that was the first album featuring teenage guitarist, Neil Sean. As a member of the band. Neil Sean, of course, who went on to form Journey after that, uh, which was uh, one of my favorite bands, I'm not going to lie, through junior high school and into my early teenage years. And so while I've never seen uh, Santana live, I did see Journey in the original incarnation uh, back in the 80s. And uh, Journey has recently, the, the current version of journey featuring neil Sean, still on lead guitar uh, i believe is playing lollapalooza this summer so yes. talk about uh, an oldies act that's um trying to appeal to uh i guess both young and uh older demographic uh journey still on the circuit so there's uh the connection that between lollapalooza and uh santana three ben
1: well, I, I have a confession to make. Since we're making confessions, uh, I cannot stand Journey, and uh, I know it was. The, it was. I'm just looking this up so I get the names right. Uh, Greg Raleigh, uh, who was also in, in Santana band uh, in that in the original Santana band, I think he was one of the guys who formed Journey. Mick, I don't know what it is about Journey. I don't like Journey. I got mildly annoyed when they came back in 2005 when my beloved White Sox won the World Series and old boy was singing the uh the song somehow or other. Or was it the Cubs that Journey came back? One of them. No, no, it was, it was Se- the
0: White Sox. Don't was stop the White Sox.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um oh, I'm like, "Come on, why are we listening to this song? It wasn't good in the real time." And uh so they're I just uh, from
0: San Francisco, too. They're not even from Chicago. Uh, they always had yeah. Steve Perry singing that song. And it's like, dude, you're from the Bay Area. You're not yeah. from Chicago.
1: But yeah, I'm like, you should have I had like, a Chicago song. If you're good, yeah. the, the, you should have had a Chicago or a Curtis Mayfield song. Okay? You know, you should have had a Curtis Mayfield. That's, that's my point about this city of Chicago. They trashed you.
0: Keep on keeping on. That would have been the, the right song. For,
1: absolutely. Uh, anyway. Yeah. This city will screw everything up. Oh, let's go to San Francisco for our band. No. What the hell are you going to Journey for? Damn. Um, anyway, I went on a tangent. I forgot where we were. All right, let's move it on. We're down to the top two. Uh, number two, 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 Mick Dumpke.
0: Showing my uh, my classic rock roots here again. Uh, come on. Led Zeppelin for it. It's got to be <laughs> up. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Starts out with Hey Hey Mama uh, with uh, Black Dog. (laughs) Got Stairway to Heaven. Finishes with The Battle of Evermore with uh, Robert Plant calling out in his distinctive uh, wail I'm going to Chicago. Um, Man, what an album. Just uh, start to finish. Incredible, highly influential album. you know, of course, rooted in the blues, like Led Zeppelin. I, I don't need to talk about this album. Everybody knows Led Zeppelin. I, I still love it, even though it's overplayed. Talk about overplayed, but I still love this record.
1: All right, so uh, confession time. We already confessed this, not really in hard rock of any kind. But I do uh, like certain Led Zeppelin songs when they come on the radio, I'll crank it up. Oh, yeah, man. And uh, so this is one of those albums. I didn't discover this album until 1973. So I thought it was a 73 album. I go, oops, (laughs) behind the times once again. Uh, But uh, it's got Stairway to Heaven on it. And uh, (laughs) I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, Nick. I I listened to Stairway to Heaven so many times. I literally know every part of that song. Every, like when the drum does the little drum thing. And just when the drums come in, uh, where they, they go from the acoustic to the, like, it's a little embarrassing how much I know a stairway to heaven. I've heard it so many times. It's like, I cannot listen. It's, it's in the category of uh, sticky finger. I cannot hear this song again, but every now and then when it comes on, Mick, I listen and I like go back in time. 1973
0: <laughs> opening song. And it's just like, you're drawn in again. You think you're sick of it. And then when it kicks into higher gear, Jimmy Page takes over. It's like a slow-moving ballad, you know. And then at a certain point in time, Jimmy Page kicks in and just unleashes the guitar. And it's just like, oh. It's the one that everybody plays air guitar, air drums. Yes. Uh,
1: Well, I I do that in a lot of different songs. But, yes, everybody does it. It what's really funny to watch is a, 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 a male baby boomer. When certain songs come on, it's really funny to watch a male baby boomer when uh, Stairway to Heaven comes on or that song by uh, Leonard Skinner. Freebird, when a free bird comes on and uh, a male baby boomer, they know the song, they know every lick. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, By the way, uh, Ramana uh, very kindly, uh, gently weighed in. Ramana Hussein, she had, I, it was my fault I hadn't reached out to her early enough to get her list. And so I texted her. I go, uh, Mick and I need your three favorite songs. And then she wrote, You texted his wife. Ha ha. She thought I was texting you. <laughs> anyway, uh, her uh she goes, I'm editing, so she's really busy. But Led Zeppelin for so there you go, Mick. Uh, remember, I said my wife and I, uh, you know, we knew we, we had something going because we both like Santana. Well, there you go. You and uh, Ramana share a love for Led Zeppelin.
0: Um, R- Ramana yeah. has seen, I mean, it wasn't the original incarnation of Led Zeppelin, of course, because they still, they broke up when we were kids, but she saw um, Paige and Plant when they were touring, I think at some point in the 90s or 2000s, they were touring again. So that's how big of a fan she is. Um, she's actually gone out and see these, seen these monsters of rock playing live. Romana, uh, loves, she doesn't talk about it the way that I do. Like, and she kind of has to, you know, deal with me talking about it way too much. Uh, but she's really into music and she's really into classic rock. So you can always give her a hard time about that, Ben, because it it doesn't fit her in a lot of other (laughs) ways, but she loves her classic rock and she really knows it.
1: No, she does. She's a huge fan of uh, Bob Seger. All right. Uh, and, uh, Number two on my list is this closest I come to loving hard rock. And even though this group is not hard rock, but this would be the Allman Brothers live at the Fillmore. Uh, and 1971 album, Dwayne Allman, Greg Allman, Barry Oakley. Uh, love the Allman Brothers, Dickie Betts. And this is one, Mick, I have listened to this so many times. I know every guitar riff. Uh, Stormy Monday and uh, Memory Elizabeth Reed. or, or You know what? Uh, and this is an album that my wife has gotten into over the years. I think she loves this album, too. Uh, so I still listen to it. Mick, it's one of the few rock albums I still listen to it. And uh, Whip and Post, which is like 20 minutes long. It's it's like rock and roll masturbation. Anyway, uh, I do love uh Allman Brothers live at the Fillmore. I cannot lie. I cannot rewrite history. I love this record. Mick your thoughts.
0: I'm not a huge Allman Brothers fan for no good reason. Uh, but it's uh, when I, there's certain moments when it's like I hear them, they come on, and I'm just like, yeah, I totally get it. I was at a friend's house um, about a year ago. We were, uh, well, this was before the pandemic shut everything down. So a little more than a year ago, but we were, Getting ready to go see uh Los Lobos play at Fitzgeralds in Berwyn, um, and I think I've told you about this before, Ben. But uh, a couple friends and I are like fanatical about Los Lobos. We go see them every time they're in town. So we were getting ready to, to go. Along with a way of saying, my my buddy had uh the Almond Brothers on the stereo, and I was like, "Damn, this is good!" You know, like when you <laughs> get in that deep groove yeah. with the Almond Brothers, you're just like.
1: They kind of take you away, so I, I totally get it. Good call. All right, I can't help myself. I love it. By the way, so we get before we get to number one, uh, my wife's top three: uh, Almond Brothers Live, Aretha Franklin Live, uh, and What's Going On. Number one, and that's uh, my uh, wife Pam's list, and it's a perfect transition into number one without any question or doubt. Mick Dumkey. take it away.
0: Yeah, both of us, Ben, we might as well do this jointly. Uh, we both have what's going on, um, as do many others. Uh, we just you and I, one of the reasons we decided it was finally time after so much talking off uh, line about doing this show, one of the reasons we finally said it is truly the moment," was because we were talking about just last week, we hit the 50th anniversary of the release of what's going on. And so there were a a lot of celebratory pieces and tributes paid to that album and all of them totally well-deserved. It's one of those records, you you talked about albums that you know so well and you just don't want to listen to anymore. This is like the opposite effect, right? Every time you listen to what's going on, it's like you hear another layer to it somehow. It just gets better and better and it's got everything in it. It's just, um, you know, obviously uh, Marvin's incredible singing the songwriting he covers, it's just like, it's so topical then it's so topical now he's singing about the environment. He's singing about racial injustice. He's, you know, when there's a line trigger, happy policing. I mean, it's just like, it's political, it's social, it's about love. Um, it's jazz, it's soul, it's R&B, it's a little bit of rock and roll. And the second side of this album, cause I still listen mostly to vinyl when I can, you flip it over and the second side hits a peak with, um, inner city blues, make me want to holler. Just that song is just sublime. I could just listen to it over and over again. It's just transformative. It's an incredible listen,
1: start to finish. I'm with you. I, there's really nothing I could add to what you said. That was a great riff. I'll just say a couple things. Um, I like this album in real time. I owned it in real time. listened to it over and over. And you're right, Mick. I listened to it once a month, at least, uh, get something new out of it all the time. Uh, I urge, well, I shouldn't urge everybody to do this, but I'm saying there was a moment in the uh, early seventies where I discovered the joys of, uh, what they call cannabis, <laughs> cannabis these days. We're not allowed to call it reefer or marijuana anymore. Cannabis. Uh, and, um, Mick, there are a few things in life more enjoyable or more pleasurable than uh, getting high and then listening to what's going on with headphones on, and the the little pl- lyrical lyrical play that Marvin Gaye does. It's like we. I had a friend. I'll just. I had a friend across the hall from me at this dormitory. He was really in the hard rock. He loved hard rock. He loved Jimi Hendrix. He didn't know anything about Marvin Gaye. And so I go, man, put the headphones on. And where Marvin Gaye goes, do bit, 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 He's like, oh, my God, man. <laughs> anyway, uh, so there's that. Uh, but I'll just, I'll close with this, Mick. I'll get back on my soapbox. I've been on my soapbox but now and then, doing my best to resist. The theme of what's going on is as relevant, if not more relevant today. Uh, than it was in 1971 in the middle of the war in Vietnam. War is not the answer. And everybody says they love what's going on, and it's at the top of everybody's list, but no one practices the themes of what's going on. I just see war, violence, shootings, police beatings, everything he talks about, black people killing black people, war throughout the world, Mick. Everything he's talking about in what's going on is still going on. And it's just it it haunt, it makes the album more prophetic, more powerful, more real uh, the fact that this beautiful message, this really heartfelt sincere message that Marvin Gaye is conveying through music, the genius of his his command of melody is just people love the sound, but they're not practicing the message, if you follow what I'm saying, Mick. So that kind of makes it sad in a way for me. Your thoughts on all this?
0: Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, how much of a correlation is there between people who are <laughs> huge fans of what's going on and those who are ordering military strikes around the world? I don't know. But your point is well made that um the, the message of the album, uh, the things that bothered him at that time are still so relevant now. Absolutely. And in addition to the list that you went through, um, you know, these things about pollution and the waters and in the skies and it's just the vision. It, it's almost like, you're right. It's like a prophetic vision. It's like a very, um, it's almost a gospel album in its own way too. Um, but beyond that, I don't think people would revere it you know to the same degree if it just didn't sound so damn good. I mean, it is just layered nothing sounds like it. People have tried to make albums like that since um and I could go through some uh there was uh I could go through some artists, but like you know some of the great um r and b and and soul artists, like one of my favorites d'Angelo from more recent times you know uh so a lot of hip hop artists who do layered sounds, um, head, great headphones records. You know, this is the place where this came from was, was what's going on. Um, so I agree with you. I mean, it's like on every level of the album is just a classic.
1: Yeah. So I know everybody knows. And by the way, Mick, I'm going to have to respectfully disagree with you. I'll bet you pretty much every baby boomer in the Clinton administration uh, and in the George W. Bush administration, which were already bombings all over the world, uh, was a fan at least of, of Marvin Gaye uh, at Motown. Whether they got into, uh, well, you know, it's pretty much widely considered one of his greatest. Whether they got uh, uh, into um, uh, this particular album, I, I do not. What's going on, I do not know. But, uh, all right, Mick, we have uh, filled up uh, an over an hour, I think. We could probably go another two hours. Uh, he very dutifully uh, put together his, uh, his like, second 15. Uh, so at some point, I'm going to drop all this uh, in, a, in a column or a newsletter so uh, people can hold us accountable and write in with their uh, top 10 and top 15. So, bake I want to thank you uh, for giving me the idea to do this in the first place. Uh, and Apple, if you're listening, come on, don't be cheap. Cut a check to Mick Dumkey because it was his idea uh, long before you even came up with it. Okay, all right, Mick, and and I will I will turn around and spend it all on records. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so go for it. Uh, all right, that's uh, the great Mick Dumke. I'm Ben Jirovsky. Take care, everybody. <laughs>